Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Hello and a very warm welcome to the late-breaking F1 podcast presented by Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. Today reviewing Qatar Sprint, where Oscar Piastri won for the first time <laughs> in F1. Um, and Max Verstappen won. I mean, confirmed, I think is maybe the better word. Confirmed his third consecutive driver's championship with a podium and Sergio Perez not able to finish. Sam... I've managed to join you today. Um, no, no more solo pods. Oh, thank God you're back. You finally got off the pedalo that you were trapped on with Harry. I assume he's still floating around in the lake, uh, but it's I so tried nice. To grab him. <laughs> no, don't worry about him. Just you know, run for yourself. It's so good to have you back, mate. It, it was chaos, hell. I'm, I, I miss you more than you would understand. I haven't actually listened to it yet. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for when I'm mentally ready enough. But, uh, uh, you'll never be, mate. Just uh, accept it's almost <laughs> like a dream that one day you'll just forget it ever happened. Well, despite, I, I'm sure it was great. Um, someone who's probably not having a great day, Omar Safnauer, um, because Oscar Piastri, I think he's kind of winning the Piastri versus Alpine saga at this point. As we say, he was able to win his first ever sprint. He did very well in his last sprint as well, if you remember back to the Belgian Grand Prix. Got pole position for it earlier on today and converted that to a race win. Did get overtaken by George Russell early on, but the medium tyres ultimately ended up winning the day. How impressive was Oscar Piastri out there? Look, to heart back to, to Otmar, it's all part of the 100 race plan. You all think it's over for him and that he didn't get to complete it, but this is all very much part of it. And as we always back. like to yeah. say on this show and in Formula One, if you do get nine women pregnant, you might have a baby in one month. And that means that Oscar eventually no, 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 is part can't. of the plan. No, no. Oh, see, Otmar even was wrong. <laughs> Otmar is never wrong, Ben. It's just all part of the plan. Um, Piastri, how impressive was he? Let's let's look at the, the sprint shootout. It's a shootout. Let's look at that, shall we, first? Because yeah. that was a little bit less convincing for Piastri. Um, it looked like it was trading places between Max Verstappen and Lando Norris. And right at the death, 
Piastri obviously sets a great time. I think he's less than a tenth faster at this point than Lando Norris. Lando Norris behind him on the track, though, improving. Purple sector in the middle, I believe, green in the first. And it's almost looking like it's simply, you know, what is it? What's the expression that you like to say? Simply academic, or it was something academic? Yeah, that academics. We'll go with that. Sure, close enough. I'm not as clever as you, Ben. Um, that he would, in theory, pick up the sprint shootout pole position by simply finishing the lap. But Lando Norris this weekend is a little bit like a bad comedian. All the build-up, no punchline, cannot seem to deliver on the final moment when it actually matters. And displayed it both in qualifying on Friday, yesterday, displayed it again today in the sprint shootout, of course, running off the track on the final corner when it seemed assuring he would pick up the pole spot. And then again during the race, falls right back from the start and has to claw back absolutely everything only just to get on the podium. But Oscar Piastri, consistent throughout his qualifying lap to pick up his first pole position. Fantastic. It's great seeing a rookie uh, rookie season. Ben, Mr. Statman, can you recall the last time a rookie picked up pole in their first season in Formula One? Uh, apart from the asterisks of is it really a pole? Um, I'm, I'm guessing we we probably have to go all the way back over 15 years. I think so. I think it's Hamilton 07. To, uh, to Lewis Hamilton, yeah. Yeah, ironically also in a McLaren. Um, but, you know, fantastic. The fact that it's the first person to do this, it shows a lot of talent. And then come to the race. I think what we saw here was a combination of a young man who is still very much learning. And that was displayed in... For example, the George Russell restart after he had to follow, he dropped back to nearly two seconds very quickly because Russell just jumped that restart so brilliantly. But at the same time, we saw a whole heap full of the calm, mentally prepared level headingness that is Oscar Piastri. That man is so unrattled that, you know, I don't think, there's a clever joke in there about a baby's rattle or a rattlesnake, but I'm not going to go into it. I genuinely don't think though that anything could have, could have fussed him, could have phased him. And he, he brought the tyres back in, he, he caught back up to Russell, got the move done. And when Max Verstappen, the now three-time world champion, was the man bearing down on him, fastest lap, Max Verstappen just pips it, keeps the gap to two seconds, Everything's calm, everything's collected, comes across and takes the wing. He was incredibly impressive. And you now have the awkward moment where Oscar Piastri has won more in Formula One than Lando Norris has. And that is a conversation I'm sure that is quietly maybe going around between Piastri's team as to say, nice one, mate. You've done something that your teammate, who is lauded by everyone, has not managed to do. So I was really impressed. He really, really delivered when he needed to. And it's more than his teammates done this weekend. When it comes to Oscar Piastri, and this is a weird compliment that I will explain, nothing makes sense with him in that he should not be as composed as what he is. Like as a rookie, we often see drivers who are unrefined, like they've got good raw speed, but they just don't quite have the, the experience, quite honestly, to be able to convert that a lot of the time. With Oscar Piastri, if you knew nothing about him, you'd never seen his face, you don't know his background, anything about him, and you just saw his racing, you would immediately think, he's done, he's been doing this for 10 years. Like You would immediately think, this guy is one of the most experienced drivers on the grid. That's how he drives. This would have been a really easy race for a rookie like Piastri to lose. Because whilst he did... I'll go to the sprint shootout in a moment, but the actual race itself... It was, you know, whilst he did ultimately have the better strategy, he did ultimately have the better tyres. There was no real way of knowing that in the moment. 
there would have been a really easy way for him to be flustered as soon as he got overtaken by George Russell, either fighting that position too hard or also losing the position to Verstappen at the same time or finding himself behind the Ferraris. It would have been really easy for that race to have gone downhill very, very quickly for him. But he's just so composed for a driver of his age and of his experience that it came back to him. It's the same thing that GP was saying to Max Verstappen. Obviously, Verstappen now a three-time world champion. The race will come back to you. Don't worry. Stay calm. That's exactly what Piastri did. The race came back to him. And ultimately, George Russell had very little to defend with once those medium tyres were were up to temperature the next time round. So, yeah, it's it's one of those where, at the end of the day, Piastri made it look pretty easy. But it really wasn't for someone in his position. You put Alonso in his shoes or Hamilton in his shoes, yeah, they're probably converting that no, no stress whatsoever. And you'd expect them to because they've done it all. They've seen it all. Piastri hasn't. And yet he still was able to rise above all of that keep his head and ultimately claim the claim the win. And you're absolutely right that as soon as Verstappen got clear air, matched him. Pace-wise, pretty much matched him. And he knew that there were too few laps for, for him to do anything. It could have, again, been a situation where Verstappen bared down on him very quickly and suddenly Piastri's having to uh, look at his mirrors one second behind, DRS active, what am I going to do against him? None of that. None of that even needed to happen because he he stuck that two second lead, didn't move. So I, you know, pure pace wise, Lando Norris, and I'll get we'll get onto Lando Norris in a moment. Lando Norris had the better of him today and yesterday, and he might have the better of him tomorrow. Who knows? But if you're in Piastri's shoes and you do have a little bit of a pace disadvantage to your teammate, this is the sort of thing you need to do. Convert where it's possible. So I I was really impressed by him today. Yeah, um, I think impressive is, a, is an incredibly fair word. And I guess, I, I know we spoke about this being why I brought it up before we started recording. Um, I was a bit miffed that he didn't get to have his own little moment where he drove into the number one spot after the spring. And I, it was a bit rude that, you know, Verstappen got to drive his car on there and celebrate the world championship. Because for me, the podium isn't about the overall standings. The podium is about what happened in that event, whether it be the sprint now or the main race. And Verstappen could go and celebrate whenever he wants with his championship. He was going to jump around with his team regardless. This is a big moment as well for Piastri. I just think that we shouldn't start changing and whatever just because something else has happened technically away from that one event. I just think Piastri deserves to have his number one spot. That's all. I'd like to have known what their plan would have been if uh, his race went the same way as his teammate did, Sergio Perez. Mm. If you just yes. taking the uh, yeah taking the forklift all the way back to the uh, back to the podium, <laughs> put put the car on there. Um, but yeah, it's I I'm with you. I I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary to to celebrate a championship or a moment that celebrate the top three, um, which Verstappen was a part of. Don't get me wrong, but you know celebrate it in the the order that it came. It's not quite the same thing because this was done for comedic uh, impact, but. Do you remember a few years ago, it was the Hungarian Grand Prix and Fernando Alonso was on his deck chair because it was the race before the summer break and it was a bit of a, um, I don't know, have fun in the summer break. We'll see you in four weeks time. And I know it was a comedy moment, but I was a bit like there, like, oh, geez, really? 
focus on the top three. We don't need that sideshow. So yeah, I, I, I no, you're you right. Want. That's a great example. I do feel like Formula One goes, oh, we've got a moment here and forgets that actually for the drivers who are taking part in the event, it's a special moment for them and they do deserve to have a bit of the credit and not just go, well, hey, you're part of a punchline. Um, but hey, that's my little gripe for the day. There's always got to be one, I suppose. Let's, let's quickly move on to the next topic. From Lando Norris's perspective, it feels to me like this was his to win and he's thrown it away. Certainly last corner of sprint shootout, he had the pace in the first two sectors to get that pole position back from Oscar Piastri, ran wide. Uh, the lap was invalidated, but that didn't really matter because he didn't have the pace after going that wide anyway. Um, and really struggled versus Piastri. Seemed to really struggle in terms of getting those medium tyres to work early on in the stints, right? Yeah, I mean, I've already made the line about the comedian not having the punchline, but you can use any example you want. You know, cooking a gourmet meal and then burning it in the last minute. The guy has failed to deliver at the final moment when it counts on a multitude of of, of examples across this weekend. So far, we're only halfway through the, the weekend. We've still got the big event to come. On Friday, you speak about it again. He drops all the way back to 10th place in qualifying because... All of his lap times in Q3 deleted for track limits. Uh, Piastri only drops back to sixth, which again, not brilliant. Shows the fluff, the fluff is there, but then he's affected worse. And then we get to the sprint shootout on the Saturday. And right at the last moment when he could definitely, as you said, Ben, definitely have taken the top step in both occasions, I think, today, had the pace to do so, throws it away with literal seconds to go again. His teammate, who slightly slower in overall pace, but far better with consistency, gets the top spot. And then in the race, Lando Norris is on the front row, despite the slight muck up in the qualifying. He could easily have, biding his time, got the first couple of laps under his belt, sat behind his teammate and then unleashed the superior pace that he had. But it's a poor getaway on the dirtier side of the track, to be fair to him. He had probably the slightly harder time of it. But, you know, defends poorly, doesn't get past the Ferraris very quickly, can't make up the ground that the likes of Russell and Sainz and Leclerc, who have been struggling all weekend, those Ferraris, are able to do. Takes him a long time and eventually claims P3, but I really do feel like this weekend could be the weekend that we possibly could have seen a full McLaren sweep, which is amazing after the start of their season, and yet calamity after calamity ensues, and I feel like they're going to walk away with barely anything in comparison to what they could bring away from this overall weekend. I think it's almost flattering maybe that Piastri has won the sprint race because I think tomorrow they realistically had a chance of winning the overall thing, but I just can't see it happening now. Yeah, I think qualifying wise, Lando Norris realistically should have walked away with P2 yesterday and P1 today. And ultimately, as you say, P10 and P2. So he hasn't been able to to live up to that. And you're right about Piastri also struggling with track limits on, on Friday yesterday. But I'm, I'm sure you made this point as well, is that that's, that's the value of the banker lap, right? You, you get the banker lap in and suddenly Piastri drops a grand total of two positions and Lando Norris is dropping like eight. So that that is the value of getting that in there. And... Yeah, Lando Norris, I, I do honestly think he was the fastest driver out there today and he should have got pole position earlier on. For whatever reason, he really seemed to struggle, I think, in terms of getting those medium tyres alive at the start and on the restart. So we know that anyone on the medium tyre did struggle in, in those circumstances, but Lando Norris seemed to more than others and he was embroiled in a battle with the Ferraris that that ultimately Piastri never never needed to to work around and I think if you said to Lando Norris okay 
you're going to start P2 in this sprint race. You are going to have the better of the two strategies and your end result is going to be third. He is no way going to be happy about that. No way he's going to be happy about that if he knows that ultimately the medium tyre was was probably the right choice. So, um, no, I mean, this doesn't change much in terms of my view on Lando Norris and that he he still has extraordinary pace and he's going to convert one sooner rather than later. But um, yeah, disappointing nonetheless. And he knows it as well. Like his All of his comments this weekend, he knows he's the one to blame for for what's happened. What did you make of the strategic differences in this sprint race, the medium versus soft? Does it seem to be not far off split 50-50 down the field? Yeah, it's uh, one of those scenarios that we occasionally get in Formula One where the teams don't fully understand which compound is ultimately going to be the faster across an entire race length. And you've got positives to each. You saw George Russell take the soft, for example. I think he's the best contender for this, that... Off the start, he was rapid, right? Those soft tyres elevated him so quickly up to fighting for the lead. And he did eventually, of course, take the lead of the race for a period of time. And a lot of that, I think, was down to the soft tyres being faster at the beginning of the the, uh, the Grand Prix that we had in the spring. The medium tyres, on the other hand, more consistent in pace, but never the ultimate pace that the soft tyre has. And I want to give, I can't believe I'm saying this, give credit to the sprint race today, because in a sprint Grand Prix weekend, of course, we only have one practice session at the start of the weekend, which I feel, you know, limits their running, which makes testing harder. So the medium or the soft, it is hard to discern. What's for 10 e- minutes. Plus, we'll get on to that, I'm sure. Um, you know, is is the optional tyre to have for a 19-lap race. Secondly, I think that the 30% sprint race rule was actually perfect for mixing up the grid on do we choose soft, do we choose mediums? And I do think that because we saw 807 safety cars come out, the soft tyres were able to stay competitive for longer. But I really love it when when teams aren't sure on the advantage. They aren't sure on, on what, what is what. And we saw some teams go you know, double medium. We saw some teams go double soft. We saw, for example, Mercedes, George was running the soft, Lewis was running the mediums, and we saw the difference in pace come the end of the race. It was a very interesting strategic crossover, strategic difference. And what is a little bit sad for us now, and Ben, I'm sure you'll you'll concur with this, is that come the race tomorrow, those those teams are going to have a full understanding of what tyre does what, and realistically, how quickly that tyre's going to run off in an exact race uh, understanding scenario. So I really liked that we got to see that. I just think it's sad that the likelihood is we won't see it again come the race tomorrow where the big points are scored. And and that's kind of always been one of my 163 reasons I don't like sprint races is that y- you do give it away for, for, for Sunday, but it's almost like the, the best sprint race action that we've had over the last couple of years has come from strategic differences, whether that's because of weather or whether that's because of tyres like we saw out there today. The best sprint race action comes from the difference in strategy. And the whole reason sprint races exist is that strategy shouldn't matter. Like the, the whole premise of it is that it's a sprint from start to finish. It's no stops. It's, you know, everyone. And, you know, when strategy gets involved, that's ultimately when when it actually becomes interesting. I agree with your point that I, I think the medium tyre was far better and the soft tyre, so the soft tyre was the worst strategy and this was really the best possible way the race could have gone for those soft runners because... If we didn't have, let's say we had no safety cars out there today, the medium tyre runners are, are 
top one through eight, right? Like there's, there's no way. Albon probably beats Russell if it's no safety cars. But because of the amount of restarts where that soft tyre came alive for a lap and a half before the medium tyres caught up to it, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's why a few of the soft runners were able to hold on, like Russell and you know the, the Ferraris as well. They, but they really were holding on. If, if you gave them another five five green laps, I don't know where they finish. It's possibly not in the points. That's how fast they were they were dropping. Um, and George Russell benefited from having no um, or, or being able to clear drivers straight away. He had built built up enough of a gap because of how slow the Ferraris were or more accurately, how slow his teammate was behind the Ferraris, meaning that as soon as he'd cleared them, there, there just wasn't enough time for anyone like Lewis Hamilton to take advantage of that. So um, I was surprised Moore didn't go for the medium tyre, just based on pace-wise. There didn't seem to be much in it in, in terms of qualifying earlier today. Pace-wise, medium tyre, soft tyre, there wasn't much in it. So I figured they'd just go for the slightly more durable rubber, but um, yeah, some looking for that fast start, which, you know, did create some excitement. So fair play. The only thing I can think of before we go to break is um, the reason why some may have chosen the soft, I suppose, is are they trying to save as many mediums for the main Grand Prix That's tomorrow? Um, and those who have run the medium now are obviously going to have way less completely new mediums to run. So we might see an interesting strategy change because of the spring tomorrow. I'm not going to put any money on it, but fingers crossed. Hey, the amount of tyres we'll need tomorrow might see the intermediates make an appearance. It's going to be like season one of the late-breaking online racing league, I guarantee hey, They can have them off my car, mate, if they need them that badly. They might do, given how quickly they're running through them. Um, right, we're going to take our first quick break, and then we'll be right back after this with some more discussion from the sprint. Okay, we saw quite a lot of action. Liam Lawson retired in the gravel. Logan Sargent retired in the gravel. And then there was a three-car pileup. Three, as you might say, um, <laughs> between Sergio Perez, Esteban Ocon, and Nico Hülkenberg. Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon both retiring on the spot. Nico Hülkenberg did at least limp back to the pits, but his race was also over. They were, at that point, fighting for the sort of fringe points, sort of around eighth place. So that there was something up for grabs for all three drivers here. We know Sergio Perez technically had to finish quite highly in order to prevent Max Verstappen from winning the championship. None of that mattered in the end. How did you see that crash? I know they're investigating this, but do you think that anyone was to blame or do you think this was just a racing incident? I saw it with my eyes, mate. You know, they always work pretty well. Fair play. Yeah, it's good one, Matt, isn't it? It's good. Not got any yes. kinks, but um, the dad jokes are coming out early. Um, yes. <laughs> but how do we see the crash? Um, I mean, I imagine Lewis Hamilton was absolutely rubbing his hands together because he was having a bit of a shocking <laughs> weekend up to that point. He went three and one. Thank you very much, sir. All right, um, then. All righty. Christmas comes early for me. Uh, and he needed that because he was really starting to, to struggle. But, you know, Perez, Ocon, Hulkenberg... Firstly, feel awful for Hulkenberg because he was genuinely having a bit of a great time of it. He was really on the fringe uh, of, of points, as you said. Haas possibly could have picked up a point if it carried on going well. Um, was he on the mediums then, do you know? Hulkenberg and Perez were both on the mediums. And if you think at that time, Alex Albon, who scored points, was behind this battle. So 
there was definite points on the cards for both Hulkenberg and Perez here. Yeah, as you say, in theory, if the green running carried on, which it would have done because that brought out a safety car, but this would have carried on the green running had they all made it through clearly, that, um, that yeah, Hulk could have possibly got past a couple of the Ferraris, maybe even George Russell if he did come to fall back. But the crash itself, I have to put 100% of the blame on Esteban Ocon. Um Three wide into a corner is fine. It, it is possible. We've seen, you know, three wide with a double overtake or whatnot happened before. But Espen Ocon lunges down the inside and he doesn't break in a straight line. That's the important thing for me. He is coming across to a, a, a right angle, almost to squeeze Holkerberg. And he clearly doesn't fully comprehend that Perez is alongside Holkenberg on the other side. And obviously they haven't got eyes everywhere, but this is where the team's communication might be helpful for Rockon to understand the full scenario. But if you're making moves like this, you've got to break straight. You just got to hit the apex in front of you and get through the corner. Um, so I've got to put total blame on Ocon. I think he was struggling on those tires. He was seeing it about to fall away from him. And then he made a bit of a last gasp attempt of keeping the cars behind him, fell apart very quickly and takes all three of them out the race, which... I think a lot of people jumped to blame Perez for that. And actually, I think he was really just a, a poor passenger trying to get around the outside and making the most of his medium tyres. Hulkenberg as well, absolutely gutted for him because he could have scored points. But for me, it's it's all on Ocon. It was a tough one to judge. I, I think Ocon was blameless on this one. I think he was, of the three drivers, the, the, the driver who was ahead and on the inside of the corner. And I... I to be honest, I do want to see this again, but Ocon on the inside of the corner. I think ultimately the only way a crash is avoided is if Perez or Hulkenberg do something. Um, in the, I don't think the three went into that corner, obviously. And I think either Hulkenberg has to back out more than he did. And I don't think it was Hulkenberg's fault in this because I think he was as quick as he possibly could to realise that this was going to be a sandwich situation. And he, he tried to get out of it. He was just maybe half a second too late, but ultimately he was ahead of Perez as well going through the corner. So I think Sergio Perez was a tad ambitious going around the outside there. I think he probably would have been better served from just waiting to see how that played out and trying to switch back on both of them through the next corner. I, I kind of agreed with Sky Sports commentary on this in that I think a racing incident is how I would view it. It was one of those unfortunate situations where you've got three drivers, the slowest of which is at the front. The Hulkenberg in the middle is probably the second quickest. And then Perez, who's at the back, is going to be quicker than both of them. They all catch up to one another going into that corner. I think since Ocon's already there, I'm I'm fine with him. And then I just think one of Hulkenberg or Perez has to back out. I think because Perez is behind, I'd lean towards it being him. But at the same time, this is a split second decision. And I don't think Perez did anything outright wrong either so i'd probably go Ugh, tough one racing incident it's interesting it's interesting I, i'm watching the replay a couple of times and um Ocon isn't actually particularly far ahead at all hulkerberg is three quarters alongside him perez is three quarters alongside hulkerberg so neither really have any right to need to back out if they, they don't want to i agree that from Perez's point of view, he knows he's got the motor under him and the speed and the tyres to to take advantage later on down the lap or down the start finish straight down the DRS. And, and I think maybe a, a less panicked driver in his current circumstance would have comfortably waited for the opportunity. But he doesn't have to back out of that scenario, realistically. Ocon, when he hits the brakes, is not going in a straight line. And that is what bothers me because he is angled as if, you know, Hulkenberg is straight, 
Perez is straight, Ocon is like this coming across, and that's what causes the sandwich. And that's why Hulkenberg then hits the side of Ocon. Ocon turns across the both, taking the both out. I agree that it is not cut and dry, but I'm putting blame on Ocon for this. I think it is more him than a full racing incident. I don't think a penalty is really going to come of it. The penalty, of course, is that he managed to take himself and everyone else out of that Grand Prix that was involved in that crash. But um, for me, I do think that Ocon was on the worst tyres and trying his hardest to do what he could to stay in front. And Ocon is probably the one who hasn't um, hasn't lost anything from this, which sounds weird given he's gone out of the race. But I think given where he was on those soft tyres, I don't think Ocon was scoring points. No in points this coming his way. No chance. No. And... Yeah, Perez and Hulkenberg, like you say, I, th- I think Perez probably would have had the chance to to get both Ferraris. Um, Hulkenberg, I, I I think he's probably not far off either. I, I think he's he's definitely scoring points in that one if he can continue. So um, tough one given Haas. You know, on Perez's side, obviously he's scored plenty of points this year, but from Hulkenberg's perspective, points don't come all that frequently at Haas. So that's going to be a real real kick in the teeth for him, but. Um, it's interesting. Uh, this probably form another discussion on a different episode, but certainly where you've got these sprint races where tire wear is somewhat equalized across the field, that seems to be where this has logically does a little bit better. Um, the first stints of races, they're generally okay because of how well they qualify. So with a few more sprints coming up as well, we know we've still got, um, Austin and Brazil still to go. Maybe there's some points on offer for him there. Now, admittedly, again, I have to say, I haven't listened to your episode from yesterday, but I'm going to take a wild guess and suggest that Lance Stroll came up. Um, He had some struggles yesterday. He also struggled today. Didn't make it out of Q1, or sorry, SQ1, and didn't make much of an impact in the Grand Prix. He was one of the drivers on the soft tyres, Made some good progress early on. I think he managed to make his way up to about 12th or so. Um, but then ultimately, the soft tyre not very good in the second half of that Grand Prix. What I know he's not had an outstanding season, but he's really struggling this weekend. Yeah, like this is... Weirdly enough, actually, his resulting sprint qualifying one has matched. It's his best match qualifying result since we came back from the summer break, which was 16th place. He picked that up in the Dutch Grand Prix. But Ben, you know, feel free to go and listen to the episode. Um, I, I was quite, I came down quite hard on him. I, you know, the way he reacted after what happened after qualifying was out of line. It's, it's wrong, you know, throwing the steering wheel out. But he was being told by his PT that he needs to go out the front of the garage. He chooses not to. He gets very physically aggressive with his PT, which is out of line. Um, and he's clearly taking a lot of these performances to heart now. It's not just, uh, oh, whatever, my seat's guaranteed. I don't know if maybe someone higher up or Papa Stroll has gone, Lance, don't worry, but you've got to help the team here, mate. You know, we, we don't want to throw you out of your backside, but you are part of this team and we are going to fall away from the points tally if you don't start performing because Fernando has never not been in Q3 this season. And again, he he mucks it up in the sprint shootout. He's out again. And then he picks the, both Astings picked the soft tyre. Clearly they thought that was the right strategy. So I can't really blame him for that, but it just compounded the problems he was already going through across this weekend of no pace over a one lap period, 
Then the soft tyres die off very quickly. And he was complimented, I think, by the fact that so many cars in front of him and around him were falling out of the race anyway. I think he finished, what, 14th or 15th out of out of 15 runners. I wouldn't have been surprised if he finished 18th or 19th running around here in the actual spring. And I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow he does finish on the back row of the grid come the end of the race if everyone does finish. His pace is arguably the worst it has ever been at this Grand Prix. And just amazingly, he was so much better with his semi-broken wrists at the start of the season. I know the car in theory was better in comparison to a lot of the grid, but Alonso still scoring points on the regular. Alonso still getting into the top 10 in qualifying on every single occasion needed. So it's really getting to him and it is just compounding again and again and again. I Either he's a total reset or he's a total removal from Formula One at this point, because if it was anyone else, I think his seat would be gone. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. And... I think ultimately where Lance Stroll's frustration comes from here, here specifically at this weekend, is that's kind of it. Like It's not like he's had a a bad spin or a bad error. Take Lando Norris's last corner error as an example. Incredibly frustrating for Lando Norris, but he knows that the pace is there. He knew that if he can convert on that either today or tomorrow in the race, it's still there. I think ultimately where Lance Stroll's frustration has come from is that he's given it all he's got. I, I don't think he's actually left anything out there versus what his potential is here this weekend. I think he has delivered what he's got, which isn't much. And when he sees Fernando Alonso 10 positions higher than him, it must be a frustration because if if he had one isolated qualifying attempt where he's 1.1 seconds behind Alonso, okay, it, it's not good, but you can at least say, you know, it's one session and it's one session only. These sprint weekends are, are good for one thing, and that is exposing where someone hasn't got the pace around a track because he was 1.1 seconds away from him yesterday. He was 0.9 seconds away from him today. When your 0.9 second gap is the better of the two, you're not doing very well. And he can't, I don't, I think the frustration comes from, he can't point at anything. He can't point and say, that's why, or I was good, but that, and oh yeah, but this, he he can't do that. It's just a case of, he's not quick enough. He's not quick enough versus what ultimately his teammate is doing and what he wants to do. So I, I will say, I'm not sure it would have made much of an impact, I do think Aston Martin should have pit him for medium tyres in this sprint race um, after the second safety car or third safety. I can't remember. There were so many. Um, At least another set of softs though. At least another set of softs. I'd have just, I'd have stuck on the medium tyres because he would have been up against old softs and old mediums at that point and he would have dropped what? Like three positions in order to do it? give it a go. Like, what have you got to lose at this point? Best case scenario is everyone else's tyres fall off a cliff and you could just scrape a point. It might be the difference come the end of the season versus McLaren. He's not doing anything else anyway. So I'd have given that a go, but it's kind of beside the point. It's just, it's just a question of pace. Like, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's, it is devastating times for Lance Stroll. Um, and like, like I said, any other driver, 
He's long gone. I think, you know, Logan Sargent is the only driver comparable to him at the moment with just how bad this season is now going. Moving on to Williams. Alex Alban hasn't looked very quick all, and all the Williams team haven't looked very quick all weekend long. Um, and that still might be the case tomorrow. But Alex Alban was able to somehow get into the points here. How impressive was his recovery? Yeah, I mean... I would just mention Sergeant, right? Springing off into the gravel all on his own makes Albon look even better. But Albon what, qualifies P17 in the sprint shootout, out in Q1. The first time he's been out in Q1 for quite some time. The track is not complimentary of them at all, which is interesting because it's got more straights and arguably the layout is very similar actually to Zanvoort with its fast flowing you know, come, constantly coming at you corners with a, a big proper straight to go down. And you think that realistically Williams might be able to pull something out here, but, you know, it seems like they can't. And I think Albon here is getting a combination of a lot of fortune coming his way and a great strategy pick coming together. He was on the medium tyres. He was one of the half of the grid that, that shows what turned out to be the better strategy. And well done. Great pick. You know, some dig, some digging. And they, they were on the right side of, of the, the day today. And not only that, he was benefited by Lawson dropping out. His teammate was nowhere near him. Not that I think that Sergeant realistically would have challenged him for too much. And then you've got, of course, the triple crash that came along as well. That alongside the poor pace of Zhou Guan Yu, Lance Stroll at the moment. He was able to take advantage of the soft runners falling off, the crashes happening around him, and then, of course, being on the medium strategy himself. And I genuinely just think that he was pretty much the only contender left to pick up that final point after everything had unfolded. And sometimes you got to finish to win. And he did that. He finished on the right strategy and he picked up the point and he had to also do it cleanly and efficiently and well. And that's what sometimes separates the really, really good drivers from the average drivers of being able to pull out a, a result, which he did on a day where everything isn't going your way. So I was still impressed. I do think a lot of things went his way, which he had no control over, but I was still very impressed by what he was actually able to achieve. And I think it just once again shows why Alex Albon is in the proper top echelon of Formula One drivers that we have on the grid at the moment. It's what the good do to separate themselves from the good and the average. Yeah, it's something I've kind of always thought and said when it comes to Formula One is it's it's not what you do when you're quick, it's what you do when you're not. That's what is the difference between championships and second places. And obviously we're not talking about championships for Williams and Alex Albon, but it can be the difference between points and not points is they have not been comfortable here all weekend long. And at least if you're looking at Alex Albon versus Logan Sargent, and you can either put this down to... Alex Albon's lack of form in this Grand Prix or Logan Sargent turning up and doing a better job. Leave that to everyone to decide. But Logan Sargent has been closer to Alex Albon this weekend than maybe any weekend this season. Certainly going back to the first few Grand Prix of the year. Um, Zanvoort as well, I guess, would, would be in the mix too. But Logan Sargent was only just behind Alex Albon on Friday's qualifying. And he should have been ahead of Alex Albon today. He had his lap time invalidated, but he should have been ahead. So you've got a situation where Alex Albon is, at least versus his teammate, slower than he has been in a long time. And yet he's still the one that has picked up the points here because he's stuck around. He he hasn't got involved in an incident, hasn't caused something for himself. Um, and you're right. Sometimes that's all you need to do. 
That car, this weekend, is not capable of very much at all. It is incredibly likely that Alex Albon and Logan Sargent will have no points tomorrow whatsoever. They got half a chance here. They took it. That's what you need to do when you're in that spot. That's When you're fighting for 10 points in a season or 20 points in a season or however many Williams are going to end up with, that's what you've got to do. So credit to them. Got the right strategy. Any particular star of today that you want to highlight, Sam? I think it's got to be Piastri, really. Um, you know, rookie season, takes a victory, outclasses his teammate, even though his teammate has bigger raw pace over the weekend, holds off Max Verstappen, despite him now being a three-time world champion. Um, and even over the radio at the end, again, what we expect from him now, just so chill so chill he, he could turn up he could, he could freeze a freezer you know that boy he, he could re-solidify some bloody icebergs he's that bloody cold um and he deserves the plaudits that he's getting because he's delivered again so he loves a sprint and he deserves all the credit yep hard to disagree with piastri is the choice um great day for george russell as well I, I i think on the on the wrong strategy i said going into this weekend he needs a result and he's got a very good chance of a great two-day result given he's obviously got the p4 here but also he's going to start p2 tomorrow as well so um this has been a good start to the weekend for him i'm i'm very glad for his sake that his team don't listen to him when he tries to do strategy sometimes because otherwise he would have <laughs> no, 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 it's really George. not a good idea, no. George. Really not a good idea. I can, look, I can understand his his line of thinking at least in that they were dead, and he was right that all the medium tires were going to gobble him up. But what's, there's no point in pitting George Russell. No. no, no. This is this is I think the first weekend actually this season, but maybe fully that I think George Russell has 100% outclassed Lewis Hamilton. It is. Every session, every round, hands down. Apart from when Hamilton yeah. managed to stick it P1 in Q2, which is very out of character, I think, for this whole weekend. This has been George Russell's best weekend currently. Haven't had the race in comparison to Hamilton. Um, obviously, less safety cars, a couple more laps. Hamilton was on the better tyre. It might have been a role reversed. But Russell is doing a fantastic job. Also love that Russell calls out his own overtakes and compliments them over the radio when he gets them done. Yeah, I love that, that self. Yeah. I love that self-appreciation, a big pat on the back to me from me. Well done. It's great, isn't it? Um, yeah. George, he, he has, you're right, been very authoritative over his teammate all weekend long. And it might be something to do with these sprint races because if you remember back, Bottas quite frequently did quite well early on in sprint weekends versus Hamilton when they were teammates together. And George Russell seems to have done a, a similar job at a few sprints as well. But maybe a, maybe a discussion for another day. I think that'll do it. Anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? No, join us on social media over the whole race weekend, late breaking F1. Um, I'm with Harry for, to watch the race tomorrow. So you'll get our reaction, which we will film for you. So, you know, make sure you stick around for the highlights, which, you know, Kirsty does a great job editing for us. And it's always very silly. And then we will be back, of course, for the race review after the Qatar Grand Prix. Also, come and join us on Discord. The link's in the description um, where we'll be talking the whole way through the race and you can join in with the action and get your submission in for moment of the race. Um, we love you. We'll speak to you soon. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. And I've been Ben Hocking. And remember, keep breaking late. Pastry is the goat.
Social Podcast Network.